Okay, we're going to start a new book, Boundaries. Most people, when they hear the, t the title, Boundaries, they think, this is what the lesson's about. What is it? What are they talking about? How does that affect me? Is this something that I should be aware of? Is it something that would make my walk with the Lord uh, better? When I was doing the Search for Significance, I said this is a good sequel. The reason being is Search for Significance talked a lot about your belief system and why you do what you do. This book is going to take a step further and say, look at your behaviors. Look at your feelings. Look at your interactions and your relationships. Do they honor God? If you read chapter 1, how many could relate to some aspects of chapter 1? The late, <laughs> Yeah, just one thing after another. And it's like, Lord, what are you doing? Well, sometimes we should be saying, okay, there comes a point where your limits are your limits. You need to learn to say no. Uh, part of the problem in that situation was what? She had the wrong beliefs, tying back in to search for significance, that if I just tried harder, somehow I could be better. Um, there were two other beliefs she had. Does anybody remember what they were? What were her other beliefs? If I don't, they won't like me anymore. I'll lose friendships. That was another false belief that was coming out in those scenarios in chapter 1. Um, and there were several others that they brought up as well. All of them, though, were indicating her false belief system was causing her to make bad decisions. And those bad decisions then affected her entire life. And it affected her entire life to the point that she was kind of the doormat that everybody walked on was always kind of feeling worn out feeling distraught. That can happen in relationships. That can happen because of boundary issues. It can also happen that I go to the other extreme and that is I don't I don't let anybody in. I just keep all the doors shut. That way I'm safe. So as we go forward we're gonna we're gonna look at boundaries and talk a little bit about it. But I wanted to read a portion of scripture that I came across this week and I thought, boy, that just kind of sets the stage. In Ephesians 4, if you read that entire chapter, it kind of helps you to put things in perspective as you're reading this book. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And I always stop on those types of words because they make me really think, am I living a life worthy of the calling that I've received? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He goes on to talk about there is one God, one Spirit, one church, one faith. He continues down through, and I don't have my other Bible, so I'm looking for it here. It's towards the end. Okay, from him, talking about Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. He just got talking, done talking about the gifts and talking about how that everybody's been given some skills, given some a gift that you're good at. It's something that you, that you do well. You, however, did not come to know Christ this way. You surely have heard of him and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self. Now that goes back to what we were talking about with ingrained beliefs. We need to put the ingrained beliefs in our past with our past. 
We need to change the way we think and renew our mind to be more like Christ. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Those verses kind of made me think about why this book and the other books are are good because they make it real simple. They put it in specific terms. And what it what it's trying to do is the book is trying to do is to make you realize that if you don't challenge your belief system, if you don't challenge who you have been and put it in contrast with who Christ wants you to be, you're just going to continue to be the same person you've been. You know Christ is your savior, but you tend to act on the old self. So it's important that you challenge it. He gave you his spirit. He said, I want you to be new. But that means you've got to change the way you think. When you look at a situation, you're not just looking at what you're going to get out of it. You're going to look at it in the sense of what is God doing. Two different, totally different perspectives. It's not what do I get out of this relationship with this individual. It is what is God doing in this individual. And you're going to see as we go along, there will be some comments about whether you should get involved because maybe God is trying to deal with that individual and you're just getting in the way. So... Let's talk about lesson one, what is boundaries? The first thing you always do in a book is you define what it is you're going to talk about. Boundaries can be visible or they can be invisible. We're going to talk about physical, physical boundaries a little bit to kind of get us aware of you have this in your own mind. You have spiritual boundaries that you can't always see. So boundaries can be visible or invisible. Boundaries define us. Who I am, who I am not. But you, you may not even realize you're doing it. In fact, most people do not. In fact, children start doing it before they even realize they're doing it, if you think about it, because they role model mom and dad. I don't like that person because mom doesn't like that person. I've heard kids say that. We don't, we don't like Uncle Sam. Well, why don't you like Uncle Sam? Well, him and mom don't get along. Okay. <laughs> so you don't like him because mom, mom doesn't get do, do we not do that? Yeah, we do that. Boundaries show me where I end and where others begin. Boundaries show me where I end. Where What's my space? Who am I? What is mine? And where others begin. <clears throat> Boundaries are like fences in the physical world. They protect what is inside the fence and keep out what might be dangerous to our well-being. I like that correlation. The correlation there is that if you have a beautiful yard and you have neighbors who don't really respect your yard, a lot of folks will put a fence around that, and in that fence they'll have gates. Now, when I get down to see Caitlin, that's one of the first things that sticks out because everybody down there has fences. They have fences around their backyard, and you have a gate on each side of the house where you can go into the fence, and you have one in the back. And I thought, this is an interesting layout because... Where I'm at, there are no fences other than barbed wire fences to keep the cows in. So I thought that was interesting, but some of that's because in their neighborhood, it's just taken for granted that I don't want to upset your side, and I know you don't want me upsetting your side, so we put the fences up. So everybody lives with fences around the yard, and I thought, this is interesting. I guess when you have kids, though, that's thinking past that as well. But keep that in mind, though, when you talk about your boundaries. They're like physical fences, and they have gates in them. 
who I let in, who I take out through those gates will determine on how it affects me. Good fences make good neighbors. That is a good point. <laughs> Whether they want to be or not, <laughs> that is a good bit. Good fences make good neighbors. In the spiritual world, boundaries are invisible fences which often are hard to see or perceive. And I use those words because you may not realize that you have a boundary, but you do. You may not even sense that I'm putting a boundary out there and maybe I'm keeping people at bay because whatever my reasoning might be, my beliefs. And people will say, well, I didn't think you wanted to be included. Well, where did they get that belief then? What, what did you put off that made them think that you wouldn't work well in that situation? Sometimes we, don't, we aren't aware of the boundaries we're putting out there. Let's look at Proverbs 4.20-23. to 23. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. Solomon is telling people, you need to guard your mind and your heart. The Word of God will help place safe boundaries within your heart and your mind if you learn the Word of God, if you apply it to your life. It gives you spiritual boundaries, and we'll talk a little more about that in a minute. Let's look at Philippians 4.7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Again, what God is telling us through all these scriptures is that my Word, my presence in your life, will put safe boundaries around you if you abide in my Word, if you read my Word. If you allow me to come into your life and you know me in a personal way, I will give you peace. I will give you peace in the midst of strife, conflict, in the midst of un, you know, uncertainty. I will give you peace because you're trusting in me. You start relying on your old self, you're going to start having trouble. In fact, James tells us when you ask God, ask him in faith. Ask him knowing that you want an answer. Don't ask him and then turn around and do what you're going to do because that's a double-minded man and they're unstable in all their ways. So as you read through the scriptures, I challenge you to spend some time reading like a, a Proverbs a day over the next month. Read some Psalms. Go in and read Psalms 119 especially. I know that's a long psalm, but read those sections that they break out for you every day. David does a really good well of helping you see what God wants in the mind of humans, what he wants in the, in the mind of a man and woman. He does a real good job of talking about his own fears, his own desires, and how they conflict with God in that he needs to do what God's telling him. Now we're going to look at some examples of boundaries. Obviously, the first and most basic boundary that defines you or me is our skin. I mean, you look out from your eyes and you see me as a physical being. I see you as a physical being. How you dress, how you talk and how you interact with people. I have some physical fences that I can see about you just because your skin defines who you are. That is the person who you are. This is the way I like to look. This is the way I like to act. And I see you in a social setting. So your skin is the most basic and most evident boundary that defines who you and I are. Just to give you an example, for that reason, victims of physical and sexual abuse have a poor sense of boundaries. They have a poor sense because in their early 
years when their boundaries were developing, they were violated. One of the things that we've noticed in talking with people from, from abuse is they have poor physical boundaries, meaning that they're touchy-feely. They don't see anything wrong with sitting off with somebody by themselves and, and they're married and that person's promiscuous. They don't have good boundaries because their boundaries, when they were being developed, when their belief systems were being developed, they were violated. They don't know what healthy looks like. For that very reason, children who have been in homes where mom and dad are not the same person all the time. In other words, mom has multiple boyfriends. They don't understand relationships. The concept of boundaries and relationships get all distorted. And it stems from when they were younger, before they were able to challenge their own thoughts, which is usually around adolescence, right after puberty, they start thinking about, this is who I want to be. This is who I don't want to be. But up until then, they've got all this garbage that they collected if they were in that kind of environment. And they've got to sort through it. For that reason, you'll have some people who have been violated who do not do well in relationships. You'll have those who want to take control of their entire environment and they don't let the person they're married to or the kids that they have do much because they don't want to happen to them what happened to, happened to the kids, what happened to them. Now, does that mean it's going to? No, but in their mind, they believe it's going to. So they've been violated. It affects how they treat somebody. It affects their relationship with their spouse. In the spiritual world, words can create protective environments. What do we mean? Well, we, we were talking about in the first lesson how she could not say no. You know, if somebody comes up to you and says, "Can I have a hundred bucks?" You know, obviously I'm going to say, um, "Why first do you need it?" <laughs> but I just want to go down and spend some money at the video games. No, <laughs> you're not getting my hundred bucks. So it's learning to use words. It's defining who you are. Um, sentences, words and sentences, I don't go to the bars. That defines who, me, who I am. I go to church. That's putting a little bit of a definition out there. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. We use words to define boundaries. Matthew 5.37 says, Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let's go ahead and do the other verse as well. James 5.12 tells us, all above, above all, I'm sorry, <clears throat> my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or earth, by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. So what are they saying here? If you go back and put it in context, what he's trying to get people to realize and what James is, is saying here and what Christ was saying earlier, don't take an oath. Don't say you're going to do something for somebody and then not do it. Don't say I'm a believer, then go out and live like you're going to hell. You know, Let your yes be yes. For people who come in, oh yeah, I'll do that, and then they don't do it, that person is double-minded. That person is deceitful. That person is not somebody who's out for your benefit, because every time you say, you know, I'm really having a rough time, I need some help, okay, I'll be there. They're not there. You just need to let your word stand for itself. If you're going to help somebody and you love them, let it stand for itself. Don't say, I think the Old Testament used uh, one word, it was something like philatrix. I always thought that was an interesting word. In other words, they say things flattery-wise. 
to make you feel good, and then they turn around and stick a knife in your back. you got to be careful. What are you saying that is true about you? What are you saying that isn't true about you? When you talk to your family members or to your spouse or to your kids, when you say yes and no and then you turn around and change your mind all the time, what is that saying about you? What is that saying about me? I know in teaching parenting classes, one of the things that I've learned is when you say no to a child, you need to mean no. Because if they think that they can badger you till you say yes, they're going to do it. So how do you feel about all that? You walk away going, I am so drained, I don't care what they do. Why? Because they learned that if they push you, you'll change your mind. That although you had good intentions in saying no, I can get my way. I can get my way. And the the parent walks away just going, what am I going to do? And it only gets worse because when they get into adolescence and then further up, they start doing things you don't approve of. They are your child. You love them. But what are you going to do? You've already allowed that road and that car to to start that path, and so they want to keep going down it. You've got to let your yes be yes and your no's be no's. Knowing the truth about God and his property puts limits on you and shows you his boundaries. So truth is an important factor to have in your life. Knowing the truth about God, and when I say that, I need to understand what God loves and what he despises. He loves an obedient heart. One that when he says, I want you to do this, I do it. He does not love somebody who says, I love you, God, and then turns around and goes out and sins. He does not. That, that frustrates him, especially if they are one of his children. Proverbs 22.3 says that a prudent man sees evil and hides himself. Physically removing yourself from a situation will help maintain boundaries. Proverbs is telling you that there are actually... There are, there are situations, there are conditions where you walk into it and the best thing you can do is get out. Get out of there. There is no win-win situation in that, in that room. Whether it's somebody of the opposite sex whom you know likes you, you're going to be tested. But there comes a point where you have to put some boundaries and say, that's not one of the places I need to be. Because if I do, people are going to take the wrong impression. I'm giving the wrong impression if I go to that meeting. You've got to stay out of it. Especially young men when it comes to sexual sins. It says, don't go to those places. Don't look at those pictures. You know how that affects your mind and your body. Stay away from it. Flee fornication is what Paul said. Flee. Get out of there. Physically removing yourself. Time and emotional distance are also forms of boundaries. What do I mean by that? When we look at examples of boundaries, I think I gave this one one time when I was talking about my relationship with my dad. After we had made amends, I would go back and try. He's my father. I mean, I have to, I have to interact with him. I have to love him. But what I learned in going back to him is I had to set boundaries. I'm going to go in with this as my goal, and these are my intentions. I want to make sure I've heard him in the sense of loving him, talk to him. But when I'm finished, I need to leave. Because I know if I stay there and we just hang out, eventually something sparks the old emotional turmoil and you start fighting again. 
So you have to set boundaries, time and emotional distance in order, in some cases, to let people into your boundaries. Let's, let's paint this in the sense of the yard again. You have fences and you have gates. There are those people that you do not want to come into your yard because they're going to do damage. They're going to tear up your backyards with words, with statements, with pictures, with whatever. They're going to tear it up and it's not going to be that lush green yard anymore. But they are my family. It's my dad. It's my sister. It's my brother. I have to let them come into my yard because I do love them. But I can set the boundaries and I can actually open and close the gates to say this is the time frame that you're coming in and when you're going to leave. I can go to their yard and say the same thing. I can go in and I can spend time with them. Sometimes putting it in a physical picture can help us realize how you're going to approach those problem situations and still be an example of Christ to the individual. Other people play a role in helping set up boundaries. Creating boundaries involves a support network. <clears throat> As I try to grow in my relationship with God, and especially, I always correlate it to people who are recovering from addictions, but it's also true of anybody who's recovering from bad relationships. It's true of anybody who's come out of a sinful life and they're trying to get their act back on the, gate, uh, back on the track. You need to change people, places, and things. You need to make sure that those that you're talking to and that you're opening up to are people who support what you're trying to do. People who support you in trying to restore your marriage or trying to restore your relationship with your child. People who support you as you're trying to overcome an addiction. Not somebody who's going to say, you want a bear? Well, that's what I'm trying to stop. Or somebody who is going to say to me, you know, you never could do that. Wait a minute. <laughs> I know I can never do that, but you're not helping me by reminding me and putting me down. Help build me up. Give me the word of God. Be that person that says, well, you know, the scriptures say, and this is what I do. This is what the Lord has shown me I need to do. Other people around you can help you with your boundaries. Make sure, though, that you are, they are the people who can help you. Negative consequences carry a threat of prosecution if... Someone steps over boundaries. You know, you could go right to the most basic, trespassing. You know, when somebody starts to speak for you and they have no right to speak for you, you need to tell them that. You know, I think I can speak for myself. You don't have to be rude. In all these cases, we're not saying just blow somebody out of the saddle and say, get out of my yard. That's not what we're saying. We're saying be civil like Christ was and, and just present the truth. Negative consequences. That's why we have speeding limits. That's why we have laws. But when you get into the spiritual realm, the laws that you need to live by are God's laws. If somebody does something and there's a negative consequences, the likelihood of them doing it again will be less. Second Thessalonians 3.10. I can't say it. <laughs> Second Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Basic rule that he's using. This is in the New Testament. Paul's saying, 
You've got people who are sponging off your church and off your compassion. If they're not going to work, there needs to be some kind of form of work. If they're not going to work, then they shouldn't be eating. Not out of the church. Not out of the food bank. Next verse is Proverbs 16:26. The laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. The point they're trying to make is that when I'm out there working and I'm working hard, some of the reasons why I work hard is I need the money to buy the food. His hunger will drive him on because, and the principle here is that if I give them the food and they don't learn to work for the food, in the other verse, then they're going to keep coming back for the handout. But if I say, you go out there and plow that field and I'll give you enough food to last you the week as your pay, that's incentive for that person to continue to work to do something. It also builds self-esteem within them. Handouts are not going to make the situation better. Negative consequences need to be there. There were others that they brought up in the lesson. I'm going to stop there and go on into responsibilities and boundaries. Let's look at the things that I'm responsible within my boundaries, within my spiritual boundaries. Feelings are a vital indicator of what is taking place within your boundaries. They play an enormous role in your motivation and behaviors. I think that's kind of a given, but sometimes we need to hear it in words. I do the things I do because of how they make me feel. So obviously, if I'm doing things that are hurting me, and those, I sense those emotions, I can follow it back and say, okay, what are you doing here? What is it that you're doing that's causing you to feel guilty after you've been around that person or been in that situation? What are you doing that's making you feel like you failed when you're in that relationship? You better back up and take a look. What's going on? What's happening in those boundaries? Because somewhere in there, you're taking on the responsibility like they were talking about in Lesson 1, where the parents come in and said, we have a problem, and start talking about their son's behavior. And finally, the, at the very end of the session, he says, your son doesn't have the problem. You have the problem. <laughs> you keep giving him everything, he's going to continue. To, why would he do anything? Why would he work? You give it all to him. Sometimes we are, we're in relationships like that. We do things because we're afraid of the other individual and we don't want to lose them. Or because if I do this, then the friendship or the marriage or the relationship is totally gone, and then what do I have? So I do it out of fear, not out of because I love that individual. I got a wrong thinking going on there. I got a wrong belief system. Attitudes describe your orientation to things. Beliefs are anything you believe to be true. We're distinguishing now and making a few points. We're talking about feelings, attitudes, and beliefs. Feelings are going to be the way that you track it back, but then you need to spend some time thinking about why do I have this attitude? What is an attitude? It's a, attitudes describe my orientation towards something. I like this. I don't like this. I like being around this person, but I don't like being around... You've developed a collection of thought processes and beliefs that says, this is how I feel about this situation, and therefore this is where it goes in my boundaries. We need to own our own attitudes and convictions because they lie within our boundaries. I need to really look at what my attitude is. You might say, why do you even make, need to make that point? Because some people say, you make me feel this way. 
No, that's not true. You're choosing to let what that person's doing make you feel that way. Um, I was sharing with some folks the other day, uh, the uh, Covey, uh, Stephen Covey has a principle, the 90-10. 10% of what everything happens to us, we have no control over it. 90% of what happens to us, we do have control over. We have control over the way we react to it, which is going to possibly cause a snowball effect. If I start off the morning and I didn't make my coffee and I had a fight with my wife and then I'm late, then I get on out the door and I get a speeding ticket. Can you see what's going on here? I started the day out with a nasty attitude, which has affected everything else. It affected everything else for the day. Then you come back and you're expecting to meet up with your wife and say, Hey, hi, hon. <laughs> all day she's been stewing. All day you've been stewing. It's not going to come back to that happy medium. You've got to sit down and work through those things. They just don't answer themselves. Attitudes and beliefs play a big part in the map of who you are and how you operate. I was giving you an example. Attitudes and beliefs. Beliefs are possibly new beliefs in Christ. Possibly they're still from your old way of thinking. That's just the way I've always done it. That's who I am. Is that who God wants you to be? Then you get into things like, well, I can't change. That's just who I am. Is that true? Is God asking you to change that? We are responsible for our behaviors which describe who we are and they have consequences. You and I are responsible for our behaviors because a behavior, keep in mind, has already followed a sequence, a process known as I had thoughts, I developed an attitude, and then I made a choice. If you go to James chapter 1, he talks about that, even when you go into sin. Let no man say, when he is tested with evil, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone with evil. But every man is drawn away of his own lust, and then is enticed. And when it is completed, it bringeth forth sin. It's a process. I start to have these thoughts about what I want in this situation. And then I decide how I'm going to get it. And it's a process. I'm thinking it through. God's not tempting you with that evil. It's your own mind. You have the, you have the choice to obey the thoughts of the flesh or to, to recognize it and say, that's not within my boundaries and my relationship with God and put it back out there. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature reaps destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That verse used to scare me. A man's going to reap what he sows. That used to scare me. Why would it scare me? Because I knew I was living a lie. Because I knew I wanted what I wanted. And if I got what I wanted, I was afraid God was going to punish me. Because I went after it for selfish reasons. I wanted to satisfy my own selfish desires. You and I need to spend some time thinking about what are we sowing? Are we sowing to the flesh or are we sowing to the spirit? It's going to be evident. It's going to be evident in your relationships, your home, your work, 
your marriage, your church life, it's going to be evident. You can't hide it forever. And God says, the longer you try to hide it, it could end in destruction. You know, I think you were sharing about this morning in your um, prayer request. The guy won't stop drinking. He's going to lose his legs, but he won't stop drinking. I've seen that a lot. I've seen a couple guys who went through rehab, and we thought it was a successful rehab. And it ended up, I saw him back in the hospital. He had pancreatitis, and they were telling him, you're in the end stages of alcoholism. Eventually, your liver's going to stop. Your pancreas is already stopping. But you go out and you drink a case of beer. The end result will be destruction of your physical body. Proverbs 15.10 Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. He who hates correction will die. Again, another verse out of Proverbs where Solomon was talking about as a person, I need to be stern in my discipline of my children. Not abusive, stern. If they choose to still go off and down a road where they want to go, and that's what it's saying, he who hates correction will die. If they choose to go their own way anyhow, they will die. Physically, spiritually, they will die if they don't get back on the path. We need to be careful of rescuing people from the natural consequences of their behavior. We may actually be hurting them. We need to be careful of rescuing people from the natural consequences of their behavior. I use this a lot when I'm talking to people who are trying to deal with a family member who's got an addiction. The worst thing you can do is get Alan Bellum out of jail. Let him sit. They've got to meet the natural consequences of their behavior. They've got to meet the natural consequences of their behaviors or they're not going to change. It may be the natural consequences of their behaviors are what actually God uses to draw them to Him. We may be getting in the way. We are responsible for the, for the choices we make and choices we choose not to make. Blaming others for choices we make it. Blaming others for choices we make is irresponsible. I need to be responsible for the choices I make. And in that same picture, I need to be responsible for the choices that I don't make. In other words, when you have the opportunity to do good and you don't do good, as the scriptures tell us, to the household of faith, I'm responsible for that. I will be held accountable one day. Why didn't you get involved and help other believers grow? Why didn't you get involved and help the, those lost come to know me? We're going to be responsible for the decisions we don't make. Romans 8.13 If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It's pretty simple. It's black and white. Are you living according to your sin nature? Or are you living according to the Spirit? And the death here, I think they're talking about a spiritual death. Making decisions based on others' approval or on guilt 
breeds resentment. A product of the sin nature. If you go back to chapter 1 to the example of Sherry and how she kept on taking on more and more and more, what did you notice about her attitude, her beliefs, her feelings? She had become resentful. And she kept saying, Lord, I know I shouldn't be this way. Help me to be this. Help me to have a better attitude. She kept doing for others, doing for others, when she knew that her own family was going down the wrong road. And the part that told you that is when they were all sitting around the table, when the last lady called and said, I need you to teach a class because somebody's sick. And she said, well, I already had plans with my family. And she's looking at her family and said, oh, I can't be there. Oh, I can't be there. Oh, I had plans. What does that tell you about their family? The boundaries in the family were disrupted. Nobody knew what the other one was doing for Sunday. <laughs> they weren't a family. They were just all living in the same building. She realized at that point that her family was not a unit. But she went ahead. Why? Because she did not want to miss the approval of the other believers in church. She did not want to let God down. I don't think God in some of those cases is going to see that as letting down. He knows that you have a family to take care of. And if you're letting your family go the wrong way, he would rather you bring your family back to be involved in something that's going to take you away from your family. What we value is what we love and assign importance to. You could actually take this from James chapter 1 again. What we value, what we want to look at, what we want to give focus in our hearts and minds actually pulls us in. It pulls us in. and We assign importance to it. And as we assign importance to it, to it, other things are being left go. We don't have time to be in those vital roles of father, mother, parent, son, daughter. John, four, I'm sorry, John 12, 43 tells us some of the Pharisees believed in Jesus, but they feared the approval of others more than God and did not profess publicly. Think about that a little bit. They believed, but they would not profess publicly because they did not want to be seen as a follower of Christ. We're going to go into the last two sections. I just want to point out something here in this next section. Boundaries are from God. You might say, what are you talking about? I don't remember that word being in the scriptures. Well, when you study God and when you take the time to look at who he really is, you're going to realize God had boundaries. First of all, the concept of boundaries comes from the very nature of God. The concept of boundaries comes from the very nature of God. God's character reflects boundaries. The scriptures over and over talk about God being light and within him no shadow of darkness can be found. His character says, I cannot tolerate sin. God in his holiness cannot coexist with sin. Boundaries are defined in the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all have a specific role. For God sent his only Son, and when Christ died for us, what did he give us? He gave us propitiation, regeneration, 
Reconciliation, he gave us all those truths and placed them on us so that we would look and present to God in the form of him. And the Holy Spirit became our comforter. Each person of the Trinity has a distinct responsibility separate from the others. Each person of the Trinity has a distinct responsibility that separates them from the other. What I was just saying there. Each one plays a different role. The Holy Spirit is with us, dwells within us, guides our thoughts and our, and our minds as we read the Word and helps us to change to be that new person, that new creation that God has created us to be. God's creation displays boundary. If you look at everything around you, you have seasons, you have animals, male and female, you have um, different types of animals, and even within the horses, you have different types of horses, you have different types of fish and bird and animal. God has put a distinct pattern in life, and within that pattern of life and within that creation, everything within that pattern has a pattern. When you look at wildlife and you look at the nature of animals that God has placed in there, we are the only creation that he created that can think and actually process and communicate with him. We are the only creation that can do that. He placed that much honor and value on this creation. The gifts of the Holy Spirit define boundaries within the church. Every member has gifts for the edification of the body as a whole. He's put boundaries within the structure of the church. You have the pastor. You have the elders. You have the trustees. You have the teachers. He's put boundaries all around us. You need that for the functionality of the body of Christ. So there are examples of boundaries all through scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. There are examples of boundaries in God's word. And a lot of things that we don't realize is he gives us boundaries of what is truth and what is sin. He makes it very clear throughout the entire Bible. You walk in this way, you die. If you obey me, you live. You abide in me, you will thrive. If you do not abide in me, you will die. All through scriptures, he's giving you boundaries. He wants you to bring those into yourself. We're going to wrap up with just a couple of things here. Boundaries will set you free once you understand them in contrast with God's word. In order to improve boundaries, our boundaries, we need to set, time, we need to set limits on our exposure to others who behave poorly. We live in a world that has fallen. So as a believer, God does not expect you to be out there doing what the unsaved are doing. But he does expect you to present with your skin, with your thoughts, with your truth, with your mind, your words. He expects you to present something that represents his character, that represents him. So we really need to look at, do we represent him? Within our boundaries, my responsibility, do I represent that to other believers? People who behave poorly, I need to make sure I'm limiting my exposure with them. Scripture is full of admonition to separate ourselves from people and to act who act in destructive ways. All through scriptures it says this will lead to destruction. This will bring growth and healing. Scripture is full of admonitions on how we should separate ourselves. We need to have our internal limits where we have self-control without repression. 
I need to know what I can take. I need to know what my limits are. I need to know when God is pulling me out of a situation and when he's wanting me to go into a situation. The parable of the talent suggests that we will be happier if we exercise our talents and we will be more productive. If I know what the boundaries are, I'm going to keep coming back and presenting those boundaries. I know what my skin is. I know who I am. I know who I want people to see me as. I want them to see me as a reflection of Christ working in my life with my unique characteristics, with my personality, with my appearance. He wants to use me. He wants to use you. You need to find out what, how he wants to use you. What's your skill? What's your talent? What's your gift? How does God want to use me? Pray about that. We need to be responsible for our minds and thoughts as they are important reflections of God's image. What we think about, what we talk about, what we say, all is a reflection of God. Is he proud of me as his child? We need to be growing and expanding in our knowledge of God through his word. We need to be growing and expanding in our knowledge of God through studying his word. Psalms 119, 20-24 says, My soul is, is consumed with longing for your law at all times. Your statutes are my delights, they are my counselor. David had the attitude of the scriptures are what's going to bring him life. We are responsible for clarifying distorted thinking. Our perceptions are distorted by our past relationships. What it means there is, again, you were born into sin. Your sin nature started to take a role in that as well as those of your parents and your parents' parents all passed down to you. They played a role in your life. I need to make sure that who I am and how I act is reflecting what God wants me to reflect. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For whom among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God that's going to reveal truth to you. And then I'm going to close with one more point. Our ability to give and respond to love is our greatest gift and needs to flow in as well as out to those God has placed around us. When we get into the New Testament and look at a few more of the examples that Paul uses, his point was, you are a body. God has placed the people in the body that are to be there to be a part of that body. We need to function within that body together. We need to know our boundaries. We need to know what God's doing in my life and own it. Every one of us. And if we do that, we don't need to be looking on anybody else's business. It all takes care of itself. All right. This was laying the foundation, probably not the most interesting, but it's laying the foundation for the rest of the book. Okay, so continue to read on chapters 3 and 4 for next week.